Welcome to the Tenacious Woman Podcast, where our mission is to help women heal from abuse, discover their purpose, and impact others using the Tenacious Woman Blueprint. Good morning, lovely ladies. Welcome to the Tenacious Woman Podcast. Our guest today is Munira Zahabi. She is a tenacious survivor here to share her story with us. Munira, nice to meet you. Thank you so much for being with us today. Thank you, Misty. It's always a pleasure. Thank you. You're welcome. So tell us a little bit about yourself and your story and, um, you know, what you've been through. Whoa, I don't know where to start, but let's start from the beginning. So I am originally from Kenya, Nairobi, Kenya, was born there. And then 15 years later, I moved to Tanzania, Dar es Salaam uh, is a city in there or by the coast. And I moved there because I got married at 15. Wow. And my husband... Um, we, he was alive. We would have had our 38th anniversary this year, but he passed away on seven years ago from our relationship from start of marriage till the day he died was almost, um, 32 years. And, um, we were together, married together for 24 years. Wow. <clears throat> so, <laughs> in that time, I have four kids, three daughters and a son. And when I got married, I was very much um, inclined. It was my job to produce a son. And three daughters later, I finally produced a son. <laughs> <laughs> Thank goodness. <laughs> yeah, so, I, I, I think sometimes I wonder if I would have kept going. Yeah. So in your relationship, did you experience some abuse or trauma with that? Yes. So uh, things have changed since I first got married, right? And I say first because I have had a second marriage too, and that ended too. But um, in the 1980s, women were still backward, and Mm -hmm. women are still backward in that part of the world. Although the modernization and the vast use of internet and everything, all, all things related to Google are at your fingertips. So things and technology have changed. But women were then at that time considered to be, um, people who were just subdued by men. So my, um, my sister-in-law, who is the oldest, was, had told me and made it very clear that my job one was to produce a son. And I had six sisters in law and all of them had an agenda. So I never saw my mother in law because she had already passed. Mm-hmm. But these women made everything possible to make your life miserable. Everything. Mm-hmm. Um, some of the things I, I, I had to wake up at two o'clock in the morning because my brother-in-law, younger brother-in-law, who was still older to me, he would come home drunk and he would want food. So it was my job as the, um, 
the daughter-in-law of the house to wake up and give him, heat up the food and feed him. Uh, there were times when he would throw up. Now, at that time in Tanzania, it was a very, um, the politics, it was very com um, communi communist type of com country where everything yeah. had the same amount. Uh, democracy hadn't set in so much. And what was happening was I lived on the very fourth floor of the building and the water pressure would start coming, you know, water from your tap would start coming at four, about 2 a.m. 2 a.m. in the morning, right? Mm. That was full force. For that time, when my my brother-in-law came in, from that time to about 7 in the morning, I was queen because I could get my washing done, I could clean the house, I could just mop and just spend water like it was nobody's business, even take showers in full-fledged water, right? And sometimes he would throw up because he was so drunk and I had to clean that stuff up. And my job was not to say anything. Now, I failed to mention that my husband was 13 years older than that. Mm -hmm. So his stronghold on me was more like, I, I was more like his child compared to his wife. I was never a partner. Yeah. And I didn't know how to be a wife because my mom had died at 12 and I had a stepmom. So I never knew how the dynamic worked. So you just had to on the job, if you will. Uh, lo lots of things happened. Like I was beaten up by my sisters-in-law. They, um, they abused me. They uh, verbal, emotional, physical, all kinds of stuff, right? But there was no backing in the sense that there was nobody there to say, hey, stop this or else. There was no law that would intervene. They would make me um, a ragged sack, if you will. And I had to just comply. I, I yeah. in the meantime, the first few, few months of my marriage, a few years, I had a miscarriage and I didn't even know it. In fact, I had three miscarriages and I didn't even know. I was so 15 year old and dumb, if you, you know, if you get the gist. Yeah. So that's, that's really, I'm glad that you shared that because it's really important for us to see that abusive relationships aren't necessarily just with a spouse. And the trauma that we experience can come from many different places. And it's, it's really just, the saying, you know, hurt people, hurt people. And that's so true because we can be hurt by men, women, husbands, dads, anybody. Yeah. And people, so the family, I, I don't know what, I still to this day have not figured out what their agenda was and why they were the way they were. And out of the six sisters and three brothers, now we have no brothers left and only two sisters left. Everybody else has moved on, passed on. But the thing is, I never understood what the agenda was. You know, they never communicated what they wanted or how they wanted it. And that to me was the most frustrating part. Because anything I said was twisted. Anything I did was wrong. Anything mm -hmm. I took 
was not tasty. And it, it was just a very, you know, if I look back at my life, and if I, if I, first of all, I don't want to think about it, but if I sit down and think, if I had to do it again, I would li- literally kill someone. Oh my gosh. You know, because it's so, it's, they, I don't know what kind of breed of people they were. Yeah. And that's all I can say. Right? Yeah. And there was something there that allowed me to keep on moving. So I came from Kenya, like I said, and the education that I had received was awesome. And in that time, I found out that the education system in Tanzania was not that strong. So what I did was I would sit with kids of the neighborhood and give them extra tuition, if you will, um, mm-hmm. you know, coaching in America and sit with them and teach them how to do math or English, reading, anything like that. And I would get paid for it. Oh, nice. But the dynamics of the household was such that I couldn't um, have the kids because the kids would be so scared of all the shouting and all of the things that was going on. So sometimes I would meet them in the church compound and I would work with them there. This is just for me to be safe. Yeah. Um, in the meantime, also my husband had a store and he, they were, they are a family of watch repair men, right? They repair watches and clocks and this was a family trade. And the whole store, that's all they did was just sit at the desk and repair watches. But the whole store would be left alone. So I took an opportunity instead of teaching kids, I said, let me just go see what the store is doing. And in that, I moved the business in such a way by just um, putting the store on the map, if you will. Because what I did was I created custom-made jewelry for women who were, who were working women at the time. And they would want to go partying on Saturdays and they wanted a, they would buy a dress and they were looking for matching jewelry. Now I said it was a communist country, so we didn't have much imports and stuff and mm-hmm. there was not a lot of things. But what has, what I had was broken stuff that I could recycle and repurpose into new things. And that was one piece of the jewelry that came out that was awesome, right? That's awesome. And women were just calling themselves over themselves just to find the jewelry that I would create. <laughs> they would come a week ahead, give me the dress they were going to wear, and tell me to fix it. You know, wow. I just need to look good. And I would, I would just, it, it was something I could do with my hands and put my creative juices together. So that was, that's what I started doing. But then I started having kids. So I took work home. I would go to the store on Mondays and then on Wednesdays. And, or I would tell the ladies that I had come to know that just bring in your dress, give it to my husband. And I took all of that stuff at home. And then while I was taking care of the babies, I would just start working on stuff and, you know, get creative. So that's something to put your focus on to kind of escape a little bit. Yeah. And, and so, you know, I'm not saying my husband was completely an ogre, but he had his own way of loving me. But the way he loved me was not like a partner. It was more like 
the child, right? And I, I don't know in their family dynamics if they ever communicated or talked about anything because everything was a shouting match. Everything. Yeah. You know, and living together in one family, it was a joint family household. And then when my third daughter was born, I was thrown out of the house. I was in the hospital for seven days. I had a long labor. And when I brought the baby home, my sisters-in-law would not open the door. Oh, my goodness. Yes, I stood outside. Now, this is a very different dynamic. It's, you know, it's a four-story building. You climb up the stairs. You cut to the door. He's not, they're not opening the door. This is a, this is a building that's um, not covered. It's not an indoors area. It's an outside stair. And I don't know even how to explain. Sometimes I think about writing a book and I never can put the words together. And it's December and the sun is hot. It's very hot in December. And I, they wouldn't open the door. So I, my daughters, my two daughters were at my grandma's house. They were there. And my third daughter was born. I was feeding her and they wouldn't open the door. Now I had just come from the hospital. I needed to go to the bathroom and whatnot, pick up my yeah. stuff. We didn't do that. The neighbor called my husband. He showed up about five hours later then we had a meeting and then they said I, I was supposed to be out of the house so actually they threw me out of the house I went and stayed with my grandma for almost um, two weeks until there was a treaty if you will a peace treaty was signed <laughs> and I had to be out of the house in April so then my search with my daughters was to find a place to live now here in America, you go and you find, if you have income, you sign a lease on an apartment and you get it. Over there, it's a community property. Everything belongs to the government. And now you have to figure out who is moving and if you can take over their house so you can make the payments. It's not ownership. It's just getting them out of the house so that you can take ownership. And yeah. it's, done. it's done under the table. Um, we found that we, we looked at several different homes, several, and my husband was not interested in any of that. He's in his mind, I was doing something wrong by moving out, but it wasn't me who wanted to move out. They threw me out of the house. He didn't get that. So what happened was I started, um, I started thinking and I said, you know, I don't want to live this life anymore. Right. And. I commit, try to commit suicide three times. Oh my goodness. And the third time I got rat poison and I digested it. And I sat there on the, on the room, in my room thinking, you know, if I didn't have this life, then it's going to be okay. I'm the one that's a problem. But what I realized is my two daughters were sitting there, the baby sleeping next to me. And my daughters are looking at me like, Mom, are you sick? My oldest daughter was about four years old. She's telling me, are you sick, Mom? And I realized that, you know, they don't care about me or my daughters. If something happened to me, they would never look at my kids. Right. And at that moment, you know, I said, you know, to hell with life, to hell with, you know, to hell with death. I'm just going to get up and I'm going to live for my kids. Oh, that's amazing. 
And from that moment on, that, that little mind shift that happened, that from that moment, I just lived for my kids, even to this day. Mm, my kids that. are grown. My youngest baby, my son is 31 years old. But I, I live for my kids. Everything else is second. It's so powerful. Like, I think a lot of women, I know when I first thought about leaving, I was like, no, I can't because then my kids are going to have a separated family. They're going to come from a divorced family. It'll be traumatic for them. But then one day, you know, he was yelling at me like he always did. And I was like, you know what? I am teaching my children that it's okay to be treated this way. My daughter's learning that it's okay to be treated this way. My boys are learning that it's okay to treat women this way. And that's when I said, I've got to go. I cannot stay in this any longer because I'm just teaching my kids the wrong way. So it's kids true. can be a very powerful motivator. It's true, right? So I, I, I moved into my own house. We found a place. I gave away all my gold. And, you know, for Indians, gold is more important. I gave away everything. We moved into this unfinished building an unfinished apartment in an unfinished house. And to this day, to this day, this building is not finished. It's not completed. And it's, oh. you know, in America, we would just be thrown out because it's not up to code. But there are things that it is, right? So we lived there for seven years and then I got a chance to come to the United States. And 15 years into the marriage and I came to the United States in 95. And things changed for me, right? By yourself? No, my husband came with me. He okay. He come and he wanted to stay back. And I said, look, if you don't want to come, it's okay. You can come every two years. I'm going to keep the kids and I'm going to make sure that mm. I raise them and they are going to go to America. They're going to get a good education. He knew that I had it in my head that I was going to do it. He knew that I would make it. Somehow he just knew that. And it worked because I came to America. All my kids have edu have education. They're doing their own things. They're good standing citizens of this country. And they're also doing, you know, very well. And I too got a master's degree, right? But the mentality of people don't, don't, um, go away. It doesn't go away because that's what they've been brought up and that's what they think it's normal. And like you said, my husband, um, in, uh, 2000, in 1996, 97, I was very, very frustrated because he would go to people's homes, people who would invite us to their homes. He would see the walls painted and the houses that are big and the cars that they were sitting on the driveway and the big, large TVs. Those were not the flat screen at the time. There was those very large, big box. Yeah. He would see those things and he would want that, right? We all want stuff. We all want to live in a house that's just awesome. But it doesn't happen overnight. We have to work at it. Yes. He still worked on his watches. He was a jeweler here. He, you know, he learned a few things. And I was a teacher's aide and, you know, teachers don't get paid that much. And you just kind of moving up in life slowly but everybody who is an immigrant has to do that right you have to pay your dues to get to that point 
what happened there was um, he started drinking. And it, it yeah. wasn't that he wasn't drinking from my home, but he did it here more so. And I didn't want that to happen with my kids. And one time I was, I had to go to the community college to get a signature from my, my professor. And I took my son with me and I was having anxiety attacks in the car. And the yeah. cops talked to me and he says, so where are we going? And, and I said, you know, I just have a cough and I used to work in the pharmacy. I've gotten a job in the pharmacy. So I knew everybody had allergies in California. <laughs> so I, <laughs> oh, it's just allergies and I was coughing. And so that had the car swerved. I didn't want to tell him that I was having an anxiety attack, which looked like, which felt like a heart attack. My wow. son, who was eight at that time, was sitting next to me. And the cop followed us home. He followed us all the way. He goes, you're not taking the freeway. You're just going to go all the long way and I'll follow you. When I got, when I parked the car in the garage, my husband had already come home. The daughters were there. And uh, the cop, you know, made sure that I was okay. I said thank you to him. And I'm seeing my son sitting in the car and he's crying. And he goes, you have to go, mom. You have to go. Otherwise, you're going to die. That's when I saw that wow. they see the abuse. They know what's happening, even if you try to hide it from them. Mm -hmm. But it's not something that you can hide because you are not really hiding. Yeah. Yeah. And he says, you have to move. And he had a meeting with his siblings, all the daughters. He's the youngest. He doesn't remember any of this. He says, I don't remember <laughs> But he sat with my my daughters and he explained to them that I was going to die if I didn't move out. And everybody was okay. So in 2002, I moved out. With the kids? With the kids. Because I gave them a choice, right? Yeah. I gave them a choice. If you want to stay here, that's fine. And they all just packed up and came with me. Amazing. So when you left, um, you know, either when you left the the community home or when you left your husband and you were finally away from all of the abuse, what do you feel like you struggled with the most? Confidence. Oh, yes. You know, because if he would always nagged on me and told me that you'll never make it. You need me all the time. You're never going to make it without me. It's so common. So and common. And confidence, right? The first time I was on my own and like the first two months I was in arrears and Chase Bank, at that time it was Washington Mutual, they charged me $25 because I was overdrafted and I didn't know how this was going to work. And yeah. he was so, you're, you're so close and he would call you and abuse you even after, right? Even if you've left it, the phone is there. He would call you and he would say things like, um, You'll need me. You'll call me when you need me, right? And I was determined not to call him because I would see other nurses, people in the hospital that I worked at were just making it, right? And how is it that they are making it? And I did it. So I started asking people questions. He would call oh, me and that. he would start asking, you know, making sure that my self-esteem was zero. And even if I had it built up to six, it would go back to zero. It was an inflated and deflated relationship. 
Yeah. To the point where he called, he would call me, he would come to the pharmacy on Sundays when I would work Sundays, and he would just make a scene, right? Mm-hmm. He would just, oh, you are married to me. He would come intoxicated and, you know, and sometimes we, my pharmacist would have to call the security and just let have him removed, you know? The fact of the matter is that I, even though I left him, I didn't really leave him because the kids were in, right? But he started seeing that things were changing for me. The minute I left the him, my job changed. I wasn't working shifts anymore. I had a 7.30 to 5, no weekends, unless I needed to work weekends and they needed me. You know, so things were acting, changing, things were changing for the better for me. Yeah. But it never, he never changed. He ne- he never stopped calling me. He never stopped um, accusing me for something. And in the time that we were married, you know, we were three years into this country and we purchased a house. I mean, nobody does that, right? I was crazy enough to do that because I was tired of him telling <laughs> me that somebody else was taking our money and paying his mortgage. Well, that's, if you're an investor, then that's what you do. Right. But, you know, so one thing led to another, to one point where I was at the DMV with my kids, having them do the driving test. And he calls me up and he says, you know, you've still not changed your name. And, you know, this is going to be something that is going to stay with ourselves. It's going to stay with you because you're still connected to me. Wow. And well, I had, you know, I, I don't know how things aligned at that day, but I had my um, divorce decree with me. I had my license <laughs> with me. And I went to, up to the desk and I said, can I ask you if you can change my last name? I just don't want to send I and, love it. <laughs> and the divorce decree had said, you know, can revert back to me the name. Right. And I was like, oh my God. And she did it for me. And within two weeks, I got my new license and I was on top of the world. I took oh, it. Yes. <laughs> and I told him, I said, I'm no longer, I'm not using your last name anymore. I am back to my maiden. That's awesome. But even during the divorce procedure, he wouldn't come. I went to counseling and I went to, you know, I wanted this to work because of the kids, right? It didn't work because his body language, the way he communicated with me, he was just a very angry man. Yeah. The fact of the matter is when I went to the to the divorce court, right, I told the judge, I said, you know what, I don't want to, um, I don't want, I just, I don't want to live in the house. He goes, but you're giving away the house. And I said, look, he's not going to leave. So right. we might as well just stay. I don't want anything from him. I can make my own luck from here on. Just ask him not to spend the credit cards that he's got on in my name. Right? I mean, this, I could, I could write a whole book about these things, right? Yeah. That what you have to do if you're going to leave your husband. But, but the bottom line is that you have to be confident. And I, the judge was like, you're a woman in California of minority, um, you know, status and you want to give him everything. I said, look, I just need peace of mind. I'm just so tired. At yeah. that point, we were married for 24 years. And I said, 
I don't want you to tell me as a court what time my kids can go see their dad. He's their dad. They can go see him or they can live with him. That's up to him. I'm not going to fight the kids. They're old enough to understand what he has done to mentally abuse me, emotionally abuse me, physically abuse me. And the judge got up from his table, down to, came to me and he shook my hand and he goes, if all my cases were like you, <laughs> I would be wow. such a happy man. <laughs> and you know, things started working out. You had to, I, I, I was a regional manager. I took another job. I was a regional manager. And for 10 years, I was traveling United States, working with different CEOs of hospitals, CFOs of hospitals, and a, a consultant and a business analyst for one of the Fortune 500 companies. Wow. That's amazing. Thank you. <laughs> amazing. And it, you know, it really comes from that, that release, releasing all of those things and letting them go is what helped you get your success and reach your success. Yeah. yeah but then, you know, the fact is that he, he, he had captured my youth. My mm -hmm. whole youth was with him. My whole life for 24 years was with him. And. You know, he went through health issues and he had to have his uh, big toe amputated and then his uh, eventually his right knee, right leg from below the knee amputated. He was angry at me all the time because he was having gangrene. His diabetes was out of control. Yeah. And the fact is that he was just angry and all that anger was still towards me. Yeah. Even to the fact, right? that he had a heart, massive heart attack, I was there. Even to the fact that, he, to last point when he was in the hospital and I went to see him at about 9 p.m. on Monday, he died on a Tuesday at 6 a.m. Hmm. But when I saw him, his last words to me were, you just wanted to see me suffer so you feel. Wow. <laughs> So, you know, I mean, it's, I'm laughing now, but those hurt words hurt me. Even to this day, it's like, what is it that you do to people like that to find a little peace? I mean, how can they even find peace in life? I don't know. I mean, they can't. They can't find peace until they choose to change their own thoughts. Really. When you think about um, your healing journey, what do you feel like is the the biggest tool that helped you to heal from that hurt and that trauma and regain your confidence? Prayer. Oh, I love it. Prayer always helps. You know, you, you just, I, I would tell God, you know, I don't know what you have plans for me because whatever I plan for myself, it goes out. <laughs> and you're the major planner, so do one thing. Whatever you have planned, I can overcome every hurdle that you put in my way. I just want you to give me some bravery with that. Give me the courage and the bravery to overcome those hurdles that you put in my way. But I know the power of prayer will help me overcome. That's amazing. I love it. Thank you for sharing that. You're welcome. So thank you so much for sharing your story with us today. It was amazing to hear how much you've accomplished. 
since leaving your ex-husband and all of the success that you're having, it's amazing. Can you tell the audience a little bit about what you do now for your business and how they can find you? I am the niche navigator. And what I do is I help coaches, women coaches and entrepreneurs in business to overcome the hurdles and find their niche and define their purpose and live their purpose. Mm, that's amazing. I love it. How can they find you if they would like to know more about you? NicheNavigator.com or Munira Zahabi. I am everywhere. I have a podcast called Munira's Niche. Hey there, lovely lady. Did you start out your business hoping to create time and financial freedom, but feel more like you're drowning? If that sounds like you, then I want to invite you to my free masterclass, Scale, where I'm going to be giving you four steps to scale your business for both time and financial freedom. Because making more money means nothing if you're sacrificing your time with your family. So join us for our free masterclass at atenaciouswoman.com backslash scale today. We'll be starting on March 15th at 10 a.m. So go claim your spot now and I'll see you there. Musings, I am on YouTube, Facebook, everything. If you put in my name, Munira Zahavi, I pop up. There's only one in the world. That's so awesome. I love it. Thank you so much for being here with us today. Hey there, lovely lady. Did you start out your business hoping to create time and financial freedom, but feel more like you're drowning? If that sounds like you, then I want to invite you to my free masterclass scale, where I'm going to be giving you four steps to scale your business for both time and financial freedom. Because making more money means nothing if you're sacrificing your time with your family. So join us for our free masterclass at atenaciouswoman.com backslash scale today. We'll be starting on March 15th at 10 a.m. So go claim your spot now and I'll see you there.